This Sunday is often called St. Joseph Sunday. Fourth Sunday of Advent, once every three years. The only time we hear from Father Joseph. The common lectionary gives us Matthew's Christmas story on this Sunday, once every three years. Joseph is sometimes called the quiet hero of Christmas. So here's Matthew's Christmas story. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man but unwilling to put her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. But they had no marital relations with, he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and Joseph named him Jesus. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, where did you meet your beloved, your significant other? Match.com? Okay, Cupid? My friend Sheila is married to a guy named Randy. Randy is six feet eight and played basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers when Dr. J was at the end of his career. First time my wife saw Randy, she said, wow. Sheila says, I walked into a pub in Greenwich Village and saw Randy standing at the bar and I turned to my friend and said, I'm going to marry that man. She laughed at me, but I saw my future. Doesn't always happen that fast. I met my wife at church nursery. She was in the bouncy chair next to mine. <laughs> Took us a while to appreciate each other. So, where did you get engaged? Was, that a, was it at an elegant French restaurant where you can spend a week's pay on dinner for two and three months' salary on a ring? Did he have the waiter hide it in the creme brulee? Was it at a romantic inn in Door County? Did he drop to one knee on Christmas Eve next to a Yule tree and give you the smallest present you'd ever received, which at some point in any relationship can only be one thing? My brother-in-law can do anything, fix anything, and build anything. He is omnicompetent. When he comes to visit my house for the weekend, I give him a long list of chores to do. I keep him so busy we never see him. He's very generous, but it's really irritating. He sets this high bar. When he uh, proposed to my wife's sister, he pitched a lace tent in a secluded forest on the shore of Lake Michigan, and then he led his lover on a mile-long walk from his house, and when she got to this translucent tent, she found a table set with candlelight and champagne 
and an elegant dinner that he had prepared himself with his unskilled masculine hands. As you might guess, they are still happily married 30 years later. Did you ever wonder how Joseph met Mary? It's possible that Joseph met Mary for the first time when they were engaged. Because you see, this transaction was accomplished not by them, but by their parents, without their consent. Brides and grooms didn't fall in love till after the betrothal, and sometimes not even then. Love was completely beside the point. It was like Game of Thrones, where marriages are accomplished for other purposes, like diplomacy or international alliance. As one Bible scholar put it, marriage was far too serious a business to be left to the whims of the human heart. By the way, this is neither here nor there, but did you know that arranged marriages are far more secure than love marriages? The divorce rate is way lower. I don't know why. That's an irrelevant aside, but at least it was free. (laughs) Do you know where Joseph and Mary got engaged? Well, it was in church, of course, or more accurately, in a synagogue. And it was a priest or a rabbi who pronounced the words of betrothal, sacred words. Because you see, in first century Palestine, an engagement was as serious and as sacred as the marriage vows themselves. It happened about a year before the wedding. We don't do it that way anymore, do we? We fall in and out of love as easily as we change jobs. Have a fight, move on. No harm, no foul. Tempted by a prettier package? Go ahead, she'll get over it. That's not the way it was for Joseph. It was adultery Mary had been guilty of, to all appearances. And he could have had her stoned to death. What would you have done? Then, as now, there is only one word for what Mary turned Joseph into halfway through their engagement, to all appearances. And so, I hope you get the size and surprise of what Joseph did when he refused to set Mary aside. After this horrible news, this is completely against every social expectation and also absolutely out of character for him. You know, St. Matthew's story is short and simple. It is exactly 200 words. You heard me read it. It took me less than two minutes to read the whole story. And yet it is a masterpiece of concision and detail. Joseph, says Matthew, Joseph was a righteous man, but unwilling to disgrace his fiancée. And in that short phrase, Matthew tells us everything we need to know about Joseph. Joseph is one righteous man and two, unwilling to disgrace. He is that rare combination of rectitude and mercy. Joseph knows what the right thing to do is, and also what to do if rectitude is violated. He's righteous. Perhaps he's an eldest child. Maybe there's nothing on earth that Joseph fears more than disappointing his parents, or his friends, or his boss. He keeps kosher. He's at synagogue every Sabbath. He charges a fair price for the bookshelves he hammers together for his rich clients. And if something goes wrong on the job, and it costs Joseph far more than he estimated, there are no overages. There are no change orders. What he quoted you at the beginning is what you pay at the end. 
And since the law is so clear and Joseph is so righteousness, he has no business whatsoever consorting with this philanderer. He knows exactly what he has to do. And then, and then he has this dream. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's been true and she's still pure. And he follows the dream. This is a carpenter for God's sake. He makes his living with a hammer and saw. His hands are covered with rough calluses and his beard full of, beard full of sawdust. He wears a tool belt and work boots. He's a blue-collar guy. He doesn't fall for the fanciful apparitions of his slumbering imagination, and he definitely won't swallow the preposterous story of a pregnant teenager. And yet, take Mary as his wife is exactly what Joseph does, violating an ancient moral code and going against every grain of his character. Garrison Keillor says, there comes a time when you have to set your principles aside and just do the right thing. Yeah? There's no way to exaggerate the size and surprise of what Joseph did here. So quiet, we barely notice him, right? Quiet hero of Christmas. Outside the nativity narratives with which Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels, we hear about Joseph three more times in all four Gospels. St. Mark doesn't even know his name. Neither does St. Paul. They don't bother with him. And did you notice that Joseph never speaks anywhere, anytime in all four Gospels? Matthew makes us privy to his internal ruminations, but he never says an audible word. There are 69 Christmas carols in our pew hymnals, if you count Advent and Epiphany. There's 69 Christmas carols in this book. Two of them bother to mention Joseph. Two. But this is why we cross paths with Father Joseph on the fourth Sunday of Advent every three years. It's because he is one of those precious people in the world who will shelter, love, and receive a child who is not their own. Do you know somebody like that? Are you somebody like that? Are you alive on this earth only because of somebody like that? Did you see the New York Times this morning? Central story, front page, under the masthead. The whole country of Canada is welcoming these Syrian refugees. All these children, not their own. The whole country, all these Canadians, on their own, welcoming these people. On Wednesday, I thought of Carpenter Joseph, who stood between Mary's mewling infant and Herod's slashing sword. Wednesday, December 14th, is a holy day for those of us who were living in Connecticut four years ago, Sandy Hook Elementary School is just up the road from where I was serving at the time. Many of us had friends in Newtown. A couple of us knew somebody who lost a child that day. 26-year-olds. Thought of the teacher who hid her students behind bookshelves 
and read to them from storybooks the whole time this awful thing was happening because, she explained later, if this was going to be the last day for them on earth, I wanted my voice to be the last thing they heard. Those kids weren't her children. Lindy Blake told Kathy and me about this book called Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Is that a great title for a sermon or for a book? Everyone Brave is Forgiven. I thought to myself, this book couldn't possibly be as good as the title, but I was wrong. It has the most memorable Christmas pageant you will ever hear anything about and this irresistible female protagonist. I can't remember getting more attached to a fictional character than I have to her. Maybe, I don't know, Homer Wells or Atticus Finch or David Copperfield. My wife and I had an opposite reaction. She couldn't put it down and I couldn't pick it up because I was afraid of what was going to happen to this character. Her name is Mary North, and Mary is 18 years old, and she lives in London. And on September 3, 1939, the day Britain declares war on Germany, Mary volunteers to help with the war effort. And they assign her to fill in for one of the many school teachers who have joined the military and are off to the continent. And Mary learns, Mary North, Mary maybe to evoke the Virgin? and North maybe because she will be true. Mary North learns that before the Blitz began in London, the authorities evacuated the animals at the zoo before they evacuated the children. How's that for upended priorities? And so in 1940, all the parents stayed in London to continue with their work, and all the children got on trains and were evacuated to the rural countryside, these small villages. And when they get off the train in these villages and line up with their tiny bag in the church or in the village hall, it's a beauty contest, right? These villagers get to choose what child they will shelter till the war is over or the danger past. And so it's like picking sides in the playground. Who's left at the end? Who never gets picked? Nobody wants Zachary. Zachary is black. Zachary goes black back to London. Nobody wants George. George is dangerously handsome, but also simple and slow. Nobody wants Poppy because Poppy has Down syndrome. And Thomas waits in the village hall all night for somebody to pick him, but nobody does, so they send him to the next village. Nobody wants him there, so his parents come to get him and bring him back to London. Thomas is a polio cripple in a wheelchair. And so all these children come back to London. This is not legal. You're not supposed to be a child in London in 1940. As far as the authorities are concerned, these children do not exist. It is illegal to teach school in London in 1940. But that's what Mary does because these are broken children and she thinks she can guard them against danger and teach them to read and to count. And something very sad happens when Mary is in charge. It's not her fault, but she blames herself. And this is what she says in her own defense. Everyone brave is forgiven. 
God. Like Joseph before her, she violates all of these ancient moral codes to do what she thinks is right. There comes a time when you have to set your principles aside and just do the right thing. And so if you are ever faced with just such a choice, just remember, everyone brave is forgiven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.